Hey guys, uh, turn to the person next to you and just give them a high five. Yes. Dang. Oh my gosh. Man, we are, we are in... Thank you guys all for making it out after uh, Father's Day stuff that you guys probably been doing or skipped out on or, or you just came after or whatever. So I'm so glad that you're here. Um, I understand that Father's Day can be a kind of like conflicting day for some people. And so, and for those of you who are here, I hope that you will find encouragement. For those who are encouraged by their families and fathers, you have so much to offer. We love you so much and I can't wait to see you guys be parents of yourselves or just be great adults one day. Uh, or even right now, you're probably really awesome people. Uh, so, <laughs> probably pretty awesome. But um, when I, when I was, uh, dang, when I um, first became a Christian, I had so many weird views on God. And part of that had to do with my, my upbringing. Uh, it's usually my, my parents' fault. Uh, and then... Um, but some of, you, you know, some of you guys have awesome views of God because it's also your parents' fault for teaching you some good values. Uh, but my parents, on the other hand, they didn't believe in Jesus or God or any of that stuff. Uh, so I had to come up with my own view. And so one of the things that I thought, um, <clears throat> because I live in Southern California and there's so many earthquakes, I thought, you know, whenever there was an earthquake, you know, b- just in my fantasical mind, uh, yes, I made up that word, uh, <clears throat> um, I used to think God was shaking the earth. Like, like he was angry and he was like shaking the earth. And I'm like, why is God shaking the earth with all these earthquakes? Uh, but that's not the case because then I took, you know, geography or geology. Um, uh, one of the two. Um, thank you. Um, another thing I used to think about God uh, was is that when it was raining, I used to think that he was crying. Yeah, mostly because I did something wrong. And I was like, man, like... What? But it doesn't rain a lot in Southern California, so I guess I was doing all right. Uh, and so as time went on, uh, my view of God started to change and develop, but it was very, like, you know, juvenile, like, really juvenile. I used to try to see apparitions of God, like, in the uh, speckled ceiling and stuff like that. And, um, and eventually I found Jesus, you know, in front of a donut shop, like I told you guys before. And, uh, and then my view of God started to change because I started reading Genesis and I started seeing things for the first time about like the ark and like Noah and, uh, you know, uh, just tons of different stories, you know, with, uh, you know, uh, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and like, you know, Jesus showing up in fire and, you know, lions not eating people when they're hungry. Like that's the weirdest thing to me. And then eventually uh, my view of God started to shift and change. And I started seeing Jesus doing miracles in the Bible. And I just started asking him to do miracles in my life. And some of them were tangible, some of them not so tangible, but just as significant because, you know, it's my heart and it's my emotions. And those are just as real. And uh, God started doing some amazing things. And my view of God started to change. And then I had this desire to go into ministry. And I started serving and I joined a life group, and I was a life group leader. I'm like, what were they thinking? Um, <laughs> they weren't. Uh, so, um, but they let me lead. Uh, Laporta knows what's up. And then I started interning next to Laporta, and we shared our office, and then we ended up leading camps together, and eventually I decided that I wanted to be a missionary, so I joined YWAM, and, and after YWAM, I came, out and came back and got my Bible degree, and then from there, I went to seminary, and somewhere along the line, someone told me something very, very dangerous. They told me that I was mature. <laughs> They're talking to the wrong guy, let me tell you that. 
uh, if my head wasn't big enough already, uh, that was the worst thing you can say to an egomaniac like myself. And, um, and the funny thing about that is that after I started thinking that I was mature, the things that I read in the Bible were not so exciting. When I read Jesus Christ and him crucified, oh, it just didn't have the kick that it used to, right? Because I was mature. When I would go to church, I would yawn at the pastor because I practically knew what he was going to say before he even said it. You know what I'm talking about. And I became very familiar with this space. Literally, this space. uh, Because this is where high school used to meet. Um, And it just became familiar. And I call it a a bell curve of familiarity. Like, you know, you start out like, oh, wow, Jesus is awesome. Oh, yeah, Jesus is still awesome, but I don't care as much as I used to. Right? And, And that's what we all get into. We get, we get into that same funk. It's that bell curve of familiarity that we come into. And as we get older, we think we're, we get more mature. But the enemy of learning anything is thinking that we know everything. The enemy of, knowing, of learning anything is thinking that we know everything. And, and I want us today, as we get older and become mature. I want our view of God to get bigger instead of getting smaller because often we, as we mature and as we learn more about God, our view of God starts to get smaller and smaller until we become so familiar with a magnificent God that we can show up to worship and not be moved, that we can read his word and not change. C.S. Lewis writes an amazing story about this bell curve of familiarity and against, like speaking against this familiar thing that happens to most believers. And the story comes out of the Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. You guys know that. And Lucy is interacting with, with Aslan after a long separation of coming back. She notices Aslan. And the story goes like this, briefly. Aslan, Aslan, dear Aslan, sobbed Lucy. At last, the great beast rolled over on his side so that Lucy fell halfway sitting and halfway lying between his two front paws. He bent forward and touched her nose with his tongue. His warm breath came all around her and she gazed up at his large, wise face. Welcome, child, he said. Aslan, said Lucy. You're, you're bigger. That's because you're older, little one, answered he. Not because you are? I am not, but every year that you grow, you will find me bigger. Every year that you grow, you will find me bigger. I say this because I, I dare preach from a very familiar passage today. A passage that you don't even have to open your Bible that even if you don't go to church, you probably know this verse anyways. But it's a verse we've become very familiar with. And my prayer is, as you grow older, as you mature, that your view of God would become bigger as a result of this verse in your life. Again, the greatest hindrance to actually learning anything is thinking we know everything. And I want to pray against that familiar voice that I've heard this one before. I've been in this place before. 
I want to pray against that. Because maybe, just maybe, God's word does not return void. And it has the power to change your life tonight. Would you pray with me as we get started? Gracious Father. Gracious Father. Like the song says, we trust in you. And in your, unfa- in your unfailing love, we cannot be shaken. Oh. As the circumstances unravel in the news, every week something horrible happens. Father, we declare that your unfailing love empowers us and we will not be shaken by the enemy's attempts to discourage us. We take courage knowing that your love never fails. We ask that you lead us. You open our ears to hear your word. We open our eyes so that we can see what you're doing and open our hearts to receive this message. In Jesus' name, we all said, amen, amen. All right, go ahead and open your Bible apps or open your Bibles to uh, the fourth book in the New Testament, John, chapter 3, verse 16. I know you saw that coming, whatever. Anyways, oh, did the screens go on? Oh, no, okay, cool. You guys got it. Um, All right, uh, we can do this old school and have someone stand up and read it aloud, like super, like, old school style. Who's got a booming voice? Do you know anybody here who has a booming voice? Just point them. Dane. Dan, go ahead. Uh, you, you, you can. You can do it. Dude. Okay. I know Okay, here we go. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Go ahead. Yeah. It's my boy D. I shouldn't yell if I have a microphone in my face. But yeah, D, good job. Um, there's a couple of things that we see in this passage that I want to point out that is, is absolutely amazing. Because our view of the love of, from the Father is usually tainted uh, or uh, developed by our parents, right? And depending where you came from, where you're at, like you probably have an amazing view of God's love or you probably have a different view of God's love. And um, tonight... This is so exciting. That's all we're going to talk about is the Father's love for you. In light of whatever you've experienced, hopefully that changes you, that shapes you. Because what you believe about God's love will determine how you live, act, live, and breathe, and speak to people. It will just make you or break you. So the first thing that we see about God's love or the Father's love is that the Father's love is surprising, surprising. The Father's love is surprising. If you look at uh, Matthew 1.18, you don't have to. We see that. We see how God chooses to surprise the world with his love. It's interesting because if, if God were to surprise the world with his love, how would he do it? And, and in, my, in my mind, I would think, man, yeah, yeah, he would just do like some amazing act where he would show up in the clouds and boom, I love you guys. Oh, here's a big giant heart and chocolate everywhere, right? You know, like Valentine's Day every day. Um, but no, he does, he uh, instead uh, Im- impregnates a, uh, an, uh, a single mom. Uh, so, uh, 
That's what he does. It's, you think I'm kidding. Read the Bible. Uh, it's awesome. Matthew 1.8 says, Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, I know what that means, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit. This is how God decides to surprise the world with his love. And it's just through a 13-year-old single parent. He just does that. You know, the thing that surprises me about God's love, is especially when I, when I first found Jesus, was the fact that he was thinking about me when I wasn't thinking about him. It's crazy. I, when I pass a donut shop, Jesus is the last thing that's on my mind, right? And so for some reason, it's really like my glands, they start to like, you know, drip. And like, I'm like salivating because I just want like a honey glazed cronut, right? That's all I think about. But in that one particular occasion, walking home from school, somebody decided to tell me about Jesus, and he told me this verse. He told me this verse. It was uh, Psalm 139, 17. It says, how precious, this is David speaking, how precious are your thoughts of me, O God? If I were to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand on the seashore. Another familiar passage. However, God thinking about me, God, the creator of the universe, thinking about me. Imagine how great and how powerful. How, I mean, literally, he's creating universes, right? Like, he, like I, want, I have allergies right now, so I'm like, he's literally sneezing universes into existence, right? That's kind of what I'm thinking. Uh, but the reality is, doesn't he have more, more important things to do than to be thinking about me? And then, not only is he thinking about me, he has multiple thoughts about me. Not only does he have multiple thoughts about me, his thoughts about me outnumber the grains of sand on the seashore of every single continent throughout the whole planet. Like, how crazy is that, right? I know, right? Like, that should be surprising to you. Like, if somebody that important was thinking about you, you should be surprised, right? Like, emoji sign explosion, <laughs> Right? Like if I told you Obama's thinking about you, you'd be like, what? I, doesn't he have more? Right? Like, doesn't he have more important things to do? Like, um, and, but God, but God is way more important than the president of the United States by far, yet he chooses to spend his time thinking about you. See, I don't have very, like, like, I don't even think about me that much, and I'm a narcissist. And, and like, literally, like, like the, what I think about me right now, like, I like girls, I like pizza, I like church, right? Those are three things, right? I like, right? But if God is thinking about me, he knows those things, and he's thinking about other things about me. So what could he possibly be thinking about? Like, what, what are the thoughts that God has? Well, I'm glad you asked, because <laughs> I'm going to tell you, um, Right? The Bible says he's got plans, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. God is literally thinking about new ways to give you hope, to give you a future, to actually prosper you. And those thoughts outnumber the grains of sand on every single beach, on every single shore over, on this whole planet. Surprise. <laughs> like that surprised me. The Father's love is surprising. And if it wasn't for the bell curve of familiarity, <laughs> it might be a little bit easier to be surprised by that love. Tonight, 
will you allow yourself to be surprised by God's love? Even as we read simple passages like this. The next thing that we see, for God's love, so for God to love the world that he gave, he gave, his love is generous. See, when we don't believe that God's love is generous, then you know, you know what happens? You know how that changes us, right? Because what we believe about God will determine how we act and behave and treat the people around us and think about ourselves. So if we think God is not generous, then we need to fend for ourselves and we need to do whatever we can to provide for our family and our future and we need to save up so that nobody else can take what I have and I need to get what they have or else I won't have enough. You think I'm crazy. But it happens all the time, especially the day after Thanksgiving. Right? There's a reason why it's called Black Friday, people. Like, it is a stain on humanity's existence. Right? It's black. The moment, it's, and, and here, the funny thing is, is that Thanksgiving is the day that we're like so thankful and content with what we have, and you know, you're like, oh, pilgrims and whatever. Um, and, and the moment that drumstick hits the table, we're in line at Best Buy. Let me tell you, I'm in line at Best Buy or I'm in line at Kohl's because I got to get some new chinos, right? So that's what happens. <laughs> we're in line and, 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 and some of us are in line. It's not that big of a deal, but sometimes we're in line and it's a big deal because we got to get that sale because if we don't get in line early enough, there won't be enough for me. And it's that scarcity mentality that permeates the way we think about everyone. It's the way we think about our future. That scarcity mentality corrupts us. I was doing some research, and by research, again, I mean surfing YouTube. And um, I was <laughs> Googling Black Friday fails. And, so, and that's also really entertaining uh, for hours. <laughs> and uh, this one lady, she was in line at Best Buy, and she's a mom. And she, the door's open, and she's about to get an Xbox for her kids. This is a good mother, really good mom, like getting a solid gift for her kids. And so she's, she, has her, she gets a cart, and she's headed to the sale where they're selling uh, Xboxes for like a ridiculously low price. And I can almost understand what's about to happen next. Um, there's a bunch of other people going for these Xboxes, like people young and old. And as she's going to the Xboxes, she sees that there's other people interested. So she does what any mother would do, right? She reaches into her purse and grabs out some pepper spray. (laughs) What? I don't see a problem. And she starts mowing down the people around her. (laughs) Right? She starts mowing down everyone. Was that disturbing? gets me every time. Um, the, um, so what happens is, so what happened is um, she ends up getting the Xbox, you know, like she's, there's no way around that. She got the Xbox and then she puts it in her cart and goes to the checkout counter, counter hands her the credit card, makes the transaction and leaves like nothing happened. Cold-blooded mama. Cold-blooded. Cold-blooded. And so... <laughs> Like, that, it was caught on tape. I really hope they caught her and, you know, convicted her of some stuff. But, <laughs> but this scarcity mentality causes people, pushes people, motivates people, because in her mind, she thinks she's providing for her kids, her family, for her future. 
But I can look at her and be like, that's disgusting. That's amazingly, like, gross. I can't believe she would do that. Shame. But the truth is, is that I do the same thing. Right? Not the same. (laughs) It's the same mentality. It's the same mentality. When we question God's goodness, Genesis 1 or Genesis 3. You don't have to look it up. I did the research. Um, Genesis 3, 1. It started in the garden. And the serpent says, did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? Pause. Oh, man. I just want to preach on this. This is how Satan gets you. Like, he makes you question what you know is true about God. Or he doesn't make you. He questions what you think about God. And if you don't believe that he's surprisingly loving and just enormously generous, if you don't know that he's enormously generous, then you might say, oh, maybe God didn't say I must eat. But Eve is a smart girl. Did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? Eve responds. Oh, no, the serpent continues on and says, you won't die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Oh, man. You'll not die. For God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. You know what's happening here? He's questioning God's generosity. He makes people think that God is holding out on them somehow. That, 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 that what God has given you is not enough. That the whole earth and all the other trees and all the other gardens and all the other fruit is not enough because God is holding out on you with this one thing. Oh, I know. I know that convicts me because I know I'm, not, I'm guilty of falling into that trap. I'm guilty of falling in that trap today with my anxiety. Just to be honest, I struggle with anxiety today. And when we struggle with anxiety, it's a fear that God is not going to provide and I need to do something about it. And what if he doesn't provide and what's going to happen? Whoa, 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 whoa. I thought I trust in God. And I needed that worship song to get me, to get my mind back. I needed my, my, my team of people praying for me to get my mind back. And if you're not in a life group, and if you're not in community, it's easy to fall on this. There's, you need people in your life to remind you that God is not holding out, that him coming and dying on the cross for your sins is enough, that you get eternity if you exchange the next, you know, 30, 50, I don't want to limit your guy's life, but, you know, <laughs> that you get eternity by exchanging 80 years left on your life. All he says, give me, give me control of this, and I will give you all of this. You get the better end of the bargain. And there's nothing that can happen on this earth that can make that deal go sour. That's not in my notes. You got that one for free. (laughs) How else do we question God's generosity? Oh, man, this happened a lot. Oh, so the anxiety thing, codependence. Oh, codependence says, hey, it's not enough that God loves me. I need everybody else to love me and even better, like me. 
right? Because we forget that God likes us. We really do. Like I said, he's thinking about you all the time, like ways to prosper you and, you know, give you hope. But we forget. And so we say, so we say to our friends on Instagram, like me. We, said, we say to our friends on Facebook, like me. And we come to work. And we work and work and work and work so that our bosses can see what, how good we are, you know, so that we can get affirmation. Hey, saw what I did? Did you like it? I liked it. Did you like it? I mean, that's a severe example, but we do this in our hearts. Maybe we don't do it on the outside, but my internal narrative sounds a lot like the hamster constantly vying for people's opinions and affirmations. We do this with our sexuality, especially when I was single. We say God's, God's rules for sexuality for my sexuality isn't good enough. No, 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 he doesn't understand. I was made a different way. We say, no, 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 what you've done for me, what you've provided for me sexually is not going to cut it because I am still single. Haven't I told you I wanted to be married a lot sooner? So I need to take matters. And I need to fulfill the plans that I have for my life. Yeah, it's easy to point. There's another uh, story. Of, of this woman and as a Walmart. It's not a woman. It's a person in Walmart. It was a really sad story. And um, Walmart's about to open and people are like rushing in and the, the crowds of people knock down one of the Walmart attendants. Boom. Right? Right as the doors open. He's an elderly man. And one of the coworkers sees this happening and he gets trampled. And the coworker comes by and checks his pulse and sure enough, he was dead. So he goes to the, so she goes to the counter and says, attention Walmart shoppers, you know, we're closed. There's been a tragedy. And people kept shopping and shopping. And then she gets on the, on the horn and says, there's been a tragedy. We need everybody to leave. One of our coworkers has died. Someone has died. And the Walmart Shoppers pause for a second and then put their heads down and just kept shopping. The story ends with with somebody coming into uh, the checkout counter's line wanting to check out, you know, their toasters and TVs and whatnot. And she's like, hey, um, sorry, uh, one of our coworkers was badly, well, one of our coworkers died and, and we're closed, I'm sorry. And that lady looked at her and said, I'm not leaving here until I leave with what I came for. It's a sad story of someone who died and people kept shopping. And when it comes to God's love, he died to save us from this idea of scarcity. Saved us so that we don't have to keep shopping for people's approval. He saved us so that we don't have to keep shopping make sure that all of our ducks are in a roll. The Father's love is so generous. And I'm here today to tell you that someone has died to free you from this idea of scarcity. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son 
that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Have eternal life. God's, the Father's love is life. It truly is life. The Father's love is life. Oh, man. This idea of eternal life versus perishing. I mean, I used to lead a life, uh, not a life group. I used to lead a youth group in Moore Park. I'm so glad that some of you guys know where that is. But if you don't, it's a truck stop, like a couple, like a couple, a couple miles that way. And, and, and I was so good at preaching the hell out of kids. Like people, like kids, like I had the baddest kids you know, in Moore Park. And, you know, by bad kids, it's just, you know, kids that just weren't like, <laughs> they're just like goth kids or like, you know, coming out of drug rehabs or parents are all like in messed up situations, but they loved hanging out with me. So, and I, so I took them and I loved them. And the greatest part, and the weirdest thing about that is, is that the, the, the Christian uh, families found, like the like super uber Christian families were like, we're like, oh, all those bad kids are coming to his youth group and they're even smoking in the corner. You know what? We're not going to let our kids go to that youth group. You know, we're going to take them to Cornerstone or something. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but like, I had all these kids coming to my group, but they just need that. That's just the kind of group that God gave me, right? And, and so I was like, I'm just going to preach the hell out of these kids so that they leave with heaven, right? That's all. I, I was just like, you know, a farmer's insurance agent for Jesus, right? That's all I was doing, right? <laughs> just that's it, Right? And, and, and I started to realize, as, as I started to get, you know, more mature in my faith, I realized that eternity doesn't begin when you stop breathing. It begins the moment we start following Jesus. And this idea of perishing, that doesn't happen when we stop moving. It happens when we stop following Jesus and fall into familiarity. And then before long, that still small voice gets even smaller, and then we don't hear it anymore. See, perishing, it's so funny because we think we got our Jesus card and it's like it's all good, but the reality is um, it is all good. However, um, our life usually reflects a heart that's surrendered. Our hearts are so... It's an organic prop. You know, our, heart, our hearts are really an organic, like, material. Like, our physical hearts and also our spiritual hearts. It's just as real as the physical world. And so when something is perishing, we can actually measure what perishing is like by other organic material. There's a particular drink that I like to drink, um, and it comes from a, 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 a smoothie place. Maybe you've heard of it, maybe you haven't. It's called Pressed Juicery. And they make magnificent goodness uh, in a bottle. And, um, and they, you know, I, I purchased one uh, one day, and I put it in the refrigerator. I put it in the refrigerator, and I left on a trip. I was doing something, and I came back after five days uh, to, to drink it. And um, so I, I opened the refrigerator. I opened the, you know, I, I, I grabbed the, the, the bottle, and I'm like really excited because I'm like on this crazy diet that doesn't allow me to have a lot of sweet things, but this is the only organic sweet thing that I can have. So I was really pumped to drink it. And uh, I open it up and literally it smelled like somebody crawled in there like and died. Like, tr- like it was like a murder scene, like in the bottle of my cup. And it was just so bad. But it, and like the stank went everywhere. It was too late. When I put the bottle, put the cap on, I was like, no, it's still coming back. It was just bad. It was bad news bears all day. And, but I'm a little adventurous 
um, because uh, I, I wanted to try it. I'm like, oh, why not? <laughs> and, and so I like picked it up and just put a little bit to my lips. And I just like, I'm like, I got to do it. I got to do it. Just got just a little bit. And literally it tastes like somebody went on a marathon, poured water in my shoe and I drank the water out of the shoe. It was that bad. It was so gross bad. So I, when, once I looked at the bottom, it said it was what? Perishable. Perishable. I'm like, perishable. And I realize, I realize I probably should have bought this sooner, right? I'm like, for one. But the reality is, is that when something's perishing, you can't really determine the day, the time, the hour that it was perishing. Right? You just know, <laughs> you just know that it's not good, right? That's, that's just not good. There's no, there's no fly zone right there. Right? You just know when it has already happened. You don't know like the moment it happens. Like if I were to put it in my refrigerator and then wait for five days and watch it like perish, I probably wouldn't be able to determine the exact time, minute, and hour. No. That's the same thing with the condition of the heart. See, see, you get to decide. You get to tell yourself. You get to know. You're the only person in this room that knows if you're perishing. You're also the only person that knows if you receive the life-giving, surprisingly generous love of the Father. And if that's changing you in this direction. But you're also the only one to know if you're perishing slowly and spiraling down, forgetting the generosity and striving for yourself. You're the only one that knows And so the question I want you to ask yourself is, are you perishing? Or are you experiencing this life? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. If every great gift demands a great response, then how do we respond to this surprisingly generous love that comes from the Father? If every great gift demands a great response, then how do we respond? I'm glad you asked, because I'll tell you. It says, for God so loved the world that whoever what? What? Whoever believes in him. Belief is the only response to God's great love. That's all you can do, is respond by believing. So what's belief? Belief is a response. It's, a, it's, it's not just uh, the ascent of the mind response. It's not just the surrender of the will. It's the recline of the heart. The recline of the heart. How many of you guys drive? Raise your hand if you have a license, even if you don't drive. Cool. Do you remember the first time you drove with your parents? Well, I, I remember the first time you drove with your parents. It kind of went like this. Um, so your dad or mom pulls over in their Astro van, uh, 97, and, um, with like 280,000 miles on it. And, <laughs> and, and they say, just like, son, daughter, boom, you get to drive now. And you're like, what? Awesome. And so you're like, high five, bam. And uh, unbuckle, and then you get out, and you guys meet in the front, and they give you the eyes, and they're like, here you go, son. Here you go, daughter. Uh, <laughs> and then you guys, and you're like, yeah, get in. And you get in the car, 
and you know, you, you know, before you put the key in the ignition, you buckle up, right? You check your mirrors, and then you put the key in the ignition, and you start going, and you start driving. <sighs> this is freedom. This is awesome. Until five seconds later, what happens then? Your mom, your dad starts freaking out. <laughs> you're like, they're like, turn right, turn left. Did you use your blinker? Look at your rearview mirror. Like, oh, slow down, right? That's what happened. You're welcome. And, and even though some of us here in this room has said to Jesus with our mind, Jesus, take the wheel. We've even raised our hands saying that we surrender our will and life to him, right? It's like giving the keys. But some of us are in the passenger seat freaking out. <laughs> when am I going to get married? What are you going to do there? What about this? What about that? Where, what's happening next? Right, we're freaking out. And what you need to do is recline. <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's true, though. Uh, it's true. Like, we surrender our minds, we surrender our quote-unquote hearts, but we freak out every day when God decides to do something different uh, than, than our own plan. Or whenever we read the news or political things happen, we're like freaking out, but Jesus is in control. He's the one who made the planet. Relax. So, I'm going to wrap things up. Uh, so, uh, I'm going to wrap things up. How do we respond to this great gift? Well, through belief, and belief looks like what? Rest. Belief looks like what? Rest. Rest. As the band comes up, um, you got to ask yourself three questions. The first question that I want you to ask yourself is, are you perishing or are you living? The second question is, are you like... <laughs> Freaking out, standing in your strength, or are you actually reclining? Are you resting in your faith? Is God's love enough, or are we still shopping? Are we still shopping? And I know, like, you may not know the answers right now. Uh, the hard part is, you know, when you're confronted with questions like these, you know, especially in a small group, it gets really hard to answer, but you know the answer in your deepest part of yourself. If you're perishing, if you're resting, and if you're shopping. Today, I'm going to encourage you <laughs> to allow God's generous love free you from scarcity today. And you can live a life of freedom Today, I'm going to invite you to say no to familiarity and be surprised by his love. Would you stand with me as we pray? God, we surrender our hearts, our complete heart, and admits any, any anxiety that we're feeling, any anticipation of the future, we choose to rest in you. 
We give you our future. We give you ourselves. We give you our minds. We give you our bank accounts. We give you our education, Lord. We give you our leadership. For you are the great leader. Lord, surprise me again. And as I get older and I become quote-unquote mature, Father God, may your, may your words come alive to me. May you become bigger as I get older. May I relish in your words. May I relish in your Holy Spirit as it even meets me here in this place. As it ministers to my heart, I pray that my body and my mind and my actions would just follow your spirit as it guides us. You are generous. You are enough. I don't need to supplement my relationship with you with anything else. For you are God and you are good. In Jesus' name we all said, amen. Amen.